Do you see space? You know what that means? There's plenty of room for your friends and family. Easter's next week. I want to call it Easter. I call it Resurrection Sunday. Huh? And Brian's birthday. Woo! I'm, I forgot to say something last service. We celebrated a four-year birthday in the first service because it's Palm Sunday. And four years ago today, a guy named Daryl Greenley, who attends this church, his wife had prayed for him for years and years and years. And he retired and went back to work. And hold on, yards, how old this fellow is. Four years ago today, he made his first commitment to Jesus Christ and is still walking with Jesus four years later. Is that cool or why? Huh? Walked the aisle away, Palm Sunday, and stood right here, man, and we led him to Jesus. It was awesome. And so what I'm saying is there's all kinds. We've been praying since January for, a, for, for CT's Most Wanted. I hope you haven't forgotten about your most wanted list because they still need Jesus. And Easter's coming, and they're more likely to come when they know it's a good day. And I promise next Sunday they will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been talking about the 40 days in the Word. We're going to take the Word and we're going to illuminate the person of Christ through Scripture and prophecy and all of that. And by the end of the service next week, through songs with the choir, a human video, other video on the screen, we're going to portray the gospel of Jesus. So do me a favor. Get, get, there's, there's invite cards out there. The information are little things that say, trust Jesus, have a cross on them. Use those, take two or three of them, pinpoint two or three people that are on that 10 most wanted list of yours and make it a, make an on-purpose contact with them this week and say, you know what, I want you to make sure you know Jesus. So what I want you to do. I want you to do that first because you know why? They need Jesus more than they need church. I would like for them to be in church, but my biggest hope for them is that they find Jesus, not a church. Now, if they find a church, they'll be able to walk with Jesus a good church, a good place, which I think this is, all right? So do that for me this week. Make a purposeful, personal contact with somebody who you know needs to find Christ. Weave Jesus into the conversation. If you don't know how, then you need to sign up for that class that Todd just told you about. Is that cool? Do that for me. We've been in 40 Days in the Word, and I hope you're in a group, and I hope you're learning and growing and doing all that stuff. And so we're going to dig into the Scriptures today. And so let's start. Are you ready? Buenos dias, hermanos y hermanos. ¿Cómo estás? Hoy vamos, vamos a hablar acerca de cómo interpretar correctamente la palabra de Dios. Vayan conmigo al libro de la segunda a Timoteo, capítulo 2, versículo 15. See, some of us know just enough about things that we can barely pick stuff up. Some of you probably picked up a few pieces of Spanish you might know. But right now you're going, I really, I think I know what he said, but I'm not really sure what I know what he said. That's how the Bible is for us. There's certain things we go, I can, I can kind of grab a hold of that. But we don't know, if we know just bits and pieces, then we, we, don't, we can't interpret things correctly. You know, it, it, it's kind of like, how many of you guys, uh, I, I went to Mexico a few years ago, and I, I took three years of Spanish in high school. And I had never really gotten involved in conversational Spanish. Somehow I was even a Spanish honor student. And so I, I, get, I get, and I grew up, in, I, I done my high school years in, in Florida, so you would think I'd have a pretty good grip on Spanish, you know what I mean? And so I, I, went, to, I went there on a mission with Sheila, and I'm um, sitting there, and within about the first three hours, things started to click. 
people were talking to me, and I started picking stuff up. Damn, 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 you know. But I never really could lock into what was really being said. I could just get the gist, sort of. And sometimes I would say things, and they would laugh at me, and I had no idea what they were saying because we were having this failure to get understanding with one another. And so oftentimes they'd say things, I'd be like, what are you trying to say? And they'd start laughing at me because I'm like, they don't, he, doesn't, he doesn't get it. And, uh, and, and then they started coming to me because they, th- they thought I understood Spanish. Well, I knew, I, knew, I knew enough Spanish to be dangerous, literally. You know what I mean? And some of us are like that with Scripture. We know enough Scripture just to be dangerous. We know just enough that we, kinda, you know, we make things say things they don't say. We, make things, we, we believe things that aren't necessarily true. We, we, we get per- certain parts of Scripture. We can't pick up other pieces of Scripture. And this 40 days in the Word, our hope is this. Every week you see, you see things sitting around this church on the screen out there on the thing that has three words underneath of it. It says, when disciples send. This 40 days in the Word is not just about you uh, doing something good that you can say, I accomplished. So you get a little badge, you know, a little thing like when you're in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or whatever, a wanna, whatever, where you just get a little thing. Our hope is this. Our hope is that you become an equipped follower of Christ. That's our hope. But you need tools. You need weapons. You need, you need things. That will be, I have a toolbox here. I was begging some laughter out of that, that, that thing, actually. You know, I, can, I, I have this, this, this uh, ratchet here, and it, it helps me do certain things. But it won't necessarily, I, I can't fix anything and, and, and build everything just with this, this tool, right? Then I have, I, have a, I have a crescent wrench, which will help me in other predicaments and other things and help me work through some things. I've got, oh, I've got a screwdriver. I love little gadgety tools, man. I like, like this. This is the best staple gun ever, man. I love this. It is designed correctly, man. The pressure gets put on at just the right spot. So those old kind where you had to push on the back end and then it pop up when you try and push really hard. You remember those things? Those big chromed out deals? You're trying to push. This thing is awesome. I love these little gadgety tools. My wife knows if she sees one of those gadget tools on, on TV, it'd be a great thing to buy Aaron. He doesn't use it very often, but he thinks they're cool. I mean, I got one of these like multi-tool things, you know, what I, you know what I'm talking about? One of these things. It's like a Swiss Army tool or something. You know what I mean? I love that. Rachel's dad bought me a screwdriver several, several, several years ago for Christmas. It's in a little black box. It's a craftsman. It was awesome because it had a flashlight built into it so I could see everything I was doing. Now, the flash bulb doesn't work. I mean, the, the flashlight part doesn't work anymore. But I love, I love that tool because, you know what, I just grabbed that one box it's got every head in it I need. So what's going on? I can grab it, snatch it up, and get to work. I, I, I keep it in the house all the time. Anytime I it's the first thing I grab. I, got I love those kind of things. So if you want to get me a nice you know, present sometime, you know, watch one of them you know, uh, on TV, as seen on TV commercials with tools. You know, For a limited time only, like forever, you get two for the price of one. You know what I mean? Huh? So get me you know, like a hammer. I mean, look, I mean, I, Ah, oh, dude, there's something, there's something righteous about holding one of these in your hand. You know what I mean? Even when you don't know what you're doing, you know? That was not nice. But it has, it, I use this for different, different, different functions. I, I can't, for, for, for a job that needs a ratchet, I can't use a hammer. Or at least I shouldn't use a hammer, maybe I should say. I've wanted to use a hammer on a couple of occasions on places I shouldn't have used a hammer, but I, um, you know, and so there's, you, you ladies, 
you know, when it comes to sewing, you know, there's different needles for different things. There's different scissors that you, there's seam rippers, and sometimes you want a machine, and sometimes you just sew things by hand. There's just different reasons you use different things, right? Scrapbooking. I never did understand scrapbooking. Because all it is is like putting pictures in like a photo album, but it takes like 16,000 weapons to make it happen. I know my wife went on a scrapbooking thing once, and I, we, we used to have a whole shelf full of like scrapbooking utensils. I don't even know what all of them are for. I don't even, I'm like, how do you use all? I don't even understand what that is. But there's different needs for different things to get your, get your goal accomplished. When you're in the kitchen, you know, you use spatulas and mixing bowls. You use mixers and sometimes you use a blender instead. Sometimes it's a food processor. Sometimes it's a pan. Sometimes it's a stock pot. Sometimes it's a, it's a big cake pan. So there's different things. But the goal is what? To prepare food so it's digestible so it can be used later for energy. Am I right? What we're talking about today is kind of the same thing. We're going to talk about taking the scripture, making it digestible so we can process it correctly, and then later, as we walk down life, we can utilize it appropriately. Okay, and so you need different things to help you come to the right conclusions. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And so, in an effort to help you guys see things more clearly, let's start this service all over again, okay? Buenos dias, hermanos y hermanas. Como estás? Hoy vamos a hablar acerca de cómo interpretar correctamente la palabra de Dios. Vayan conmigo al libro de Segunda a Timoteo, capítulo 2, versículo 15. Now it's a little clear, you guys should be turning to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Just need a little bit of help, didn't you? To understand what was required of you. Because then you're still like, I don't even know what that, la palabra de Dios. What that, now you know you should be opening up the scripture. You understand a little more clearly now what's required of you. Am I right? Just with a little bit of help. With the right equipment and the right information, you are capable now of doing what's required of you. Are you with me? So, let's move on with that. I'm, away, I'm way behind schedule. We're going to talk about five things today that help you understand the Bible at face value. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, you'll find some words. Jesse, a few weeks ago, uh, referred to some verses right after this um, that helped you understand what the Scripture was all about. My, boy, my, my youngest boy, Eric, came up to me as I was talking to Dave Mitchell after first service. We were standing right here. He goes, Dad, Dad. I'm like, what, buddy? He's like, I know all Scripture. I'm like, What? I know all scripture. So I knelt down here and I said, what is that, buddy? He said, all scripture. I forget. And I said, all scripture is inspired by God. And I said, and, and is useful for for teaching us what is true. And we high-fived each other because he got it right. I'm talking four years old. And I said, what's the other thing you've been learning? The Bible is God's word. And that's what comes right after this verse we're going to read right now. So it's in chapter 2, verse 15. Work hard, it requires effort, so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, now listen to this, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. Today, I don't expect a whole lot of screaming and hollering. I don't expect too many people to walk out of here weeping and crying today. 
But I do expect that today, when you walk out of this building, you will be a better equipped workman that needs not to be ashamed. That is what I expect. There may not be anything except you grabbing equipment today. My heart is that God will, will so equip you by the power of his word and some very, very basic utensils and the work of his Holy Spirit that today when you walk out of this building, you are better able to withstand any day that comes your way because you can do what 2 Timothy 2 to 15 says. You can rightly discern, rightly divide, rightly explain and convey the word of truth. That is my hope for today. Okay, if we get nothing else accomplished, if one of you walks out here with, a bet, with another piece, another tool in your toolbox to write the body word truth, then we have had a good day. Are you with me? Let's, let's bench. The question, is, the question is five things to help you understand the Bible at face value. The question is, but how? What I'm about to talk to you about, several years ago here at the church, we had a, a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Charles Cooper here. He did a three-day seminar, basically about end times, but he started his teaching on a Sunday night and he spoke on this very subject, five things that will help you understand the scripture at face value. And I, I will tell you something. I went through Bible college. I've got Bible college training. I've been in ministry for a lot of years. What he smashed into 45 minutes was well worth an entire semester of Bible college. And I mean that. I mean that sincerely and completely. And it, it kind of revolved because, you know, I, I honestly, I don't know where I was at. Maybe my brain was offline, which is completely possible. You know, I, I have ADD at times, and so I kind of go off into the ozone sometimes. And maybe I missed it, but I know when I was about, I didn't get this, what I'm about to give you guys. And, I, and, and so when I sat here that Sunday evening with Dr. Cooper, and I listened to what he had to say, man, it changed my life. So I say that because there's a resource you can go buy. Okay, we've supplied all kinds of resources to you over the last few weeks with this four days in the word. This one's your job to go find, and I'm gonna give you the tools to go find it. It'll cost you about two or three dollars online. It's a book that's entitled Understanding the Scripture at Face Value, Plain and Simple by, by Van Campen and Cooper. It's from a ministry called Sola Scriptura, which is a Latin term, which means only the Bible, only the word of God, okay? There's a website called www.solagroup.org where you can order this little pamphlet. It's, it's, it's 25 pages or something for about two or three bucks, okay? You can get that, all right? And uh, it, 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 it contains the information I'm about to give to you. Now, it may be a little more in-depth, a little bit, little, little bit uh, more uh, explanatory than the, what I'm going to give because I don't have a little bit of time. So if we're going to understand Scripture at base value, how in the world do we do that? If the Scripture's been like reading Greek or speaking Spanish when you don't know what to do, how do you come to discern and understand uh, what God is saying? There's five little things you can do, and, and, and we'll walk through which a piece at a time. First thing you need to do is you need to seek intended meanings. Okay. When you seek intended meanings, you ask this question. What does the passage mean? When you read a piece of scripture, you ask that question. In some circles, they would ask this question. What does the passage mean to you? As nice as that sounds, let me say something really quick. That doesn't really matter. What it means to you doesn't really matter. What really matters is what does it mean? So there's one interpretation. There can be many applications, but there's only one interpretation. 
And so it doesn't really matter what it means to you. It matters what it really means. And then you find application out of what it really means, not what it means to you. Ooh, it's quiet in here. Okay? Because this word of God is substantial. It stands the test of time. It's way beyond what it means to you. Because what it means to you can be the wrong thing. I mean, if some of you were sitting here just listening to me just now quote Spanish, and you picked up a couple of words, I said, I think he, that's Timoteo, that's Timothy, something dos, that must be chapter 2. And King say maybe that's verse 5 or verse 15. And you end up in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. That's what that meant to you. But you're in the wrong book. I said 2 Timothy chapter 2. So you're, you're, what it meant to you is irrelevant because you're at the wrong spot. Do you get that? So we got to interpret it correctly. The intended meaning is what matters. And so once we ask what does it mean, then we can ask the question, how do I apply this passage? How does this passage apply to me? The reason we have to do that is because um, we, the way we come to the conclusion of what does it really mean is we understand several things. That the word of God is authored by God. He intended to get a specific message across. He used a bunch of different guys who are the little authors, and he used their perspective, he used their terminology, he used their lives to get this message across. Okay? But there's one interpretation. It's kind of like this. The gospel is the gospel, right? And I, I have a friend I want desperately to know, to know the gospel. Well, if, if he's a guy who crunches numbers and stuff... I might come to Todd and say, dude, there's this friend of mine. He really needs to know Jesus. And I think you might have a connection because he's like really numbers-ish and things like that. And maybe you could have a conversation. The gospel, though the gospel never changes, will come through Todd completely different than it comes through me. But it does not change. Now, if I got a guy who's a gardener I'm trying to reach, I might walk over here and find Paul and say, dude, I met this dude, and he's like, man, he loves gardening. You guys may have, and Paul may have to come be able to get get across to him the gospel that never changes in a whole different vernacular, a whole different way to this guy than I could ever did it. The message doesn't change, but the intended meaning of how it gets across to that person will come through completely differently. That's why God wrote sixty six books, used what was it, forty different authors, and all that stuff because He wanted to get certain messages across through certain vehicles for certain occasions that that that. that, that make the meaning have impetus and impact. Are you with me? And so we, that's how we come to the intended meanings, okay? Now, if, let me ask you a question. How many words do you know that have different meanings? Like, like right now, if I say the word grass, somebody said work. If I say that in certain circles, I go, okay, where's the good time going to be? Am I right? What if I use the word Gay. Happy in some circles. But if you take something I say out of its original intention, you might come up with a whole other conclusion. What about the word lean? Stand up, Rachel. She's, she's already got it. She's like, I'm not too lean. Stand, stand up real quick. See, 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 I can, I can lean. I can go like that. I can go, I can lean on Rachel. Right? Or I can talk about Rachel nice. is lean. Right? 
and, and the same word, but have two completely different intended meanings. There's a word, there's a three-letter word in English language. It's the three-letter word pin, P-I-N. It has 62 different meanings. If I don't know what the person who spoke it meant, I can't come to the right conclusion. Is it talking about pinning the tail on the donkey? Is it talking about my personal identification number? You see what I'm saying? 62 different meanings. Is it a stick pin? Who knows? It can be a noun. It can be a verb. Unless we know the intended meaning, we can't get there. Seek When, you, when you're reading a scripture, find the intended meaning. There's a guy that I used to, he used to come to my old church. As a matter of fact, he was, he was there recently. His name is Blaine Bowman. He, he's a comedian, really like to the nth degree. He's a preacher, but he's also a comedian. And he does, he does this thing, this one little skit thing. It's just hilarious. And he basically takes meanings of words in Scripture, and he turns them completely around. He, he acts like he's like some southern radio Christian preacher guy thing. I don't know. And he says, they're trying to tell us, brothers and sisters, that you can't play baseball and be a Christian. But I'm here to tell you today, the Bible says in Genesis 1-1 that in the big inning, God. So if God can be in the big inning, you can be in the big inning too. They're telling us we can't smoke, ladies and gentlemen, and still be a Christian. But the Bible says that Sarah lit off a camel. They're telling us we can't wear jewelry and be a Christian. But the Bible says in the King James Version that Jesus walked through jewelry. And so we can come to all kinds of crazy thoughts and ideas if we're not careful. That's a funny vernacular to put it in, but that, that's exactly, is that, is that the case? we got to find the intended meaning. The intended meaning was the beginning, not the big inning. You know, Sarah got off of a camel. She didn't light one up. You understand what I'm saying? Jewelry had to do with the, 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 the laws of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It had to do with the gold stuff hanging on your wrists and your fingers. You get what I'm saying? So we have to be really careful. We've got to find the intended meanings. There was, there's always one interpretation. There are many applications. There's always God meant to say something. The important thing is not what we think he said. The important thing is what he said. Are you hearing me so far? Number two, keep in context always. If, you, if you're men and you missed the men's breakfast yesterday, you missed a, a really incredible teaching. Jim Brown uh, shared the message yesterday, and he started off with a, a piece of scripture that many of us know, maybe you don't know the address, but it's Luke 6, 31, and it says these words, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which sounds great, especially because I love my wife. I can do unto her I want done unto me, knowing that she's going to reciprocate. And that is awesome. And Jim talked about that for a minute. He said, but do you guys know the context of that scripture? Well, the context of that piece of scripture has to do with how we interact with our enemies. Which is a whole different, ball- well, maybe in some places. Whole different interaction of how I'd interact with my wife. <laughs> Hopefully. You know what I mean? I love you. And so we, we've, got, we've got to have this understanding that context is everything. 
There is chapter context. If you just read a piece of scripture, let it hang out there in the, in the middle of no man's land, it can say anything. So what you have to do is you have to read what comes before that verse. You've got to read what comes after that verse to understand what we're saying. Well, you have to understand that, that, that chapter itself. You have to understand that chapter within the context of the book that it's written in. Okay? Why? Who was it, who was it written to? Why was it written to them? Those sorts of things. You've got you to kind of look back and forward. And say, not only do you have to do that, you have to look at the historical context of that piece of Scripture. There has to be a reason God wrote to these people. There has to be a reason God's telling this story. Why historically does that, does that make a difference? Because if we don't, we can make the Scripture say anything we want it to say. You understand what I mean? We can make it say anything. You could, you could grab a piece of Scripture, hang it out there in space somewhere all by itself, and that's how we get all kinds of goofiness in the body of Christ. That's how we get cultish stuff going on because you take one thing, you hang it out there by itself, and it sounds like it says what it means, but it doesn't really mean that. And so when you're reading your devotions and things like this over this next week and you're doing your four days in the Word, do me a favor. Go backwards, go frontwards, go around, and figure out, Really, what was, what was said, okay? It will help you. It'll help you check me. You hear me saying something that don't sound right, check it with Scripture. If I take something out of context, show it to me, please. All right? I'm not above getting it wrong. I try really hard not to, but it's completely possible. I will say something really stupid one of these days. And if I say something really stupid, y'all better call me on it. Are you hearing me? I'm, I'm, I, I want to get this thing right, but I, I, I'm, 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 as, I'm as messed up as anybody else. Let me tell you, encourage you to do something else. Always keep Scripture as its own interpreter. If you're going to figure out what something means, don't take Oprah's word for it. Or CNN or Fox News. Don't take even my interpretation of it. You will go find scripture about what's talked about there. The reason we have to do that is because scripture will all, there is, there, there, there is something you need to know. Scripture, if we dig deep enough, we, we look into it, scripture never contradicts itself. Never, ever, 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 ever. Now, if we start taking a bunch of people's opinions and different things about what scripture might say, we will find ourselves in a mess. Okay? Use Scripture to interpret Scripture. I would encourage you about a couple of things. You need to find you a good concordance. When you find something you've read, you need to find where the rest of the, where the where, what the Bible says in other places about that very thing. You need to find a topical Bible, maybe, that says, okay, these are all the Scriptures that refer to faith. These are all the Scriptures that refer to healing. These are all the Scriptures that refer to sex. These are all the Scriptures that refer... And begin to understand what God says about all of it. There's some theological terms you maybe need to be aware of that you might not understand. Maybe you haven't heard before. Maybe you have heard, thought, I don't even know what that means. I want to explain them to you. I'll tell you what they are, then we'll explain them, okay? There's two words used in, when we, in regards to in, interpreting Scripture. There's one called exegesis, not exit Jesus, but exegesis. Okay? The other one probably is the one that exits Jesus, actually. It's called eisegesis. Okay? And to understand what those things mean, we're responsible to, to, be, to be exegetical, not eisegetical. We're responsible to, to use exegesis as good workmen, not eisegesis. Okay? And here's what, here, here's what exegesis 
means. Exegesis are two conflicting approaches in Bible study. Exegesis is the exposition or explanation of a text based on careful, objective analysis. Okay? The word literally means to lead out of. Okay? You're pulling stuff out of it. Okay? That means that the interpreter is led to his conclusions by following the text. Okay? Eisegesis is the opposite approach. And it's an interpretation of a passage based on, listen to this, based on what I told you in point number one, based on a subjective, non-analytical reading. The word literally means to lead into. You know what that means? I start reading, and I've already got my mind made up. Before I ever really process, I think I already know what God means or what God has already said. I come to it not seeking to get something out of it. I'm seeking to put something into it that I want it to say. Are you hearing me? We are to exegete Scripture, not eisegete it. We are to lead out of Scripture, not lead into. We are to read out of Scripture, not read into. Scripture should be reading things into us, not us reading things into it. It's important that you come with that thing because if you come sit down with your scripture and you think you know what God said about something, you will almost always will end up in a bad spot. You have to let it read you and read into you. You are not to interpret its meaning for yourself. Are you hearing me? That's why scripture is the best interpreter of scripture. The Bible says, two or three, let a thing be established in the mouths of two or three witnesses. As you find a concept in Scripture, find out where it says two or three other places before you make your determination about what it really means, what it's really about. You can go out to BibleGateway.com. There's all sorts of Bible references out there. All sorts of translations and all sorts of we were, this. This last week, many of you probably are involved in a group and have done the, the, the paraphrase it a method of, 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 of Bible study, right? Which is not a bad thing, okay? You have to understand Scripture, and what paraphrasing it does, make sure you understand it. But here's the thing. If I've already come to a conclusion before I read it, I got problems. I appreciate our group leader because we did, this, we did this, this, this study last week, and what he did before we, 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 we got to actually paraphrase it, we took a piece of Scripture, and he said, okay, how many different translations do we have in the room? And so we went around and we read from several different translations. You see, because until I have a well-rounded view of what God is saying, I can't determine what he really said. Are you hearing me? That's why it's good to, to, to use a resource like Bible Gateway or YouVersion.com or someplace like that where you can pull up three or four or five different translations and go, okay, what does that say? Some really good translations are, are the NASB. National New American Standard Bible is a really good translation. It's a word-for-word -word literal translation. The NLT is a very good translation because it's a thought-for-thought -thought translation, and it's written at a, at a grade level that, that makes it uh, easy for us to read. The average American reads at an eighth-grade reading level. It just so happens that the New Living Translation is translated at an eighth-grade reading level. And so I can get a well-rounded view if I just do a little bit extra. And before I start to paraphrase it, I, I, already, I have already listened to what God has said. Are you hearing me? 
This paraphrase is not a bad thing. Don't, don't misunderstand it. Billy Graham and, and his Christian Life and Witness classes have, have used it for years to help us process. But you can't come to it with already a preconceived idea of what it means. You've got to read it, then understand what it means, and then write it so you can understand it. Does that make sense? Okay, it's called taking, Pastor Eric was, was infamous, I, I, our pastor here for a number of years, my pastor, who, who really, I, 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 I owe really uh, the bulk of what I understand about ministry and scripture to him. He was famous, he was inf- infamous maybe, <laughs> probably was in some circles, um, um, for saying you've got to take the whole counsel of scripture. You can't, you, you cannot just, you've got to look at what the Bible says about something from the very beginning to the very end. Number four, Scripture uses a lot of figures of speech. And when you find a figure of speech being used, you have to find the literal understanding of that figure of speech. For instance, there's a piece of Scripture uh, where Jesus is found confronted by a very rich man. And he asks him, what does it take to come to, for him to come into the kingdom, basically? And Jesus says, do this, do this. He says, I've already done that. And he goes, well, then sell all that you have and give to the poor. And the Bible says this man walks away sorrowful because he had much. As Jesus is processing, all the people are like astounded. And Jesus says, it'd be easier for a, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Now, initially for us 21st century Christians, why would you even try that anyway? I mean, who's going to take time to try and force a camel through an eye of a needle? I mean, that's a hobby of mine personally. I really like to. None of us do that. But see, if you understand, that's a figure of speech. It was common in and around Jerusalem because there was this pass, a passageway into Jerusalem that was called the eye of a needle, the eye of the needle, very thin, very, 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 very tight quarters to pass into the city. Then you understand what he's saying to those people. He's giving them something that they can relate to, a figure of speech that makes complete sense to them. And the literal translation is, there could be a camel uh, small enough to enter through this passageway. You're probably not going to find one, though. And therefore, it's going to be really hard to find a rich man who's caught up with his stuff who actually entered the kingdom. You get what I'm saying? You see how that, you see how that changed it just a little bit? Nobody's going to force a real camel to go through an eye of a real needle. But it's a figure of speech. In several places in Scripture, there's figure of speech used all the time. And for some of you who are, who are like English majors or whatever, and, you know, I, I, I hack up the English language most Sundays and stuff. I'm not going to try and teach you something you don't know. But understand something. There are things like comparisons where God uses metaphors to get certain things across. There's a piece of Scripture in Revelation where the, this picture is, is given to us about a dragon hovering over a lady who's about ready to give birth to a baby. And, and, and uh, ooh, that's creepy. That's like horror picture. That's like Freddy Krueger. You know, that kind of, what is that all about? You know? Well, if you realize just a few verses earlier, God refers to Satan as the, that dragon, the devil, okay? Then all of a sudden it begins to make sense. It's not a literal dragon, but the literal understanding is it's Satan, our enemy, who's hovering over the woman who is the nation of Israel, God's bride whom he's married to, who's about to give birth to an offspring, who is the church, He's trying to snuff the church out before the church gets going. Are you with me? Then all of a sudden, that metaphor begins to make sense. But if it's just a, a, a if it's just a literal, you know, a dragon and a pregnant lady and something, that's like really creepy. Am I right? 
Find the literal meanings of things. Uh, there, there are things like similes where God uses things like like or as. Isaiah, the scriptures say this, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Now our sins are not, at, not, not really scarlet. And we can't really be as white as snow. But it's a simile that gives us understanding of what God is saying. It's a literal, the literal understanding is a little bit different. How about idioms? There's a scripture, there's a piece of scripture in 2 Corinthians 10 that talks about Paul having a thorn in the flesh. Well, he wasn't out in the rose garden and got like a splinter. You understand what I'm saying? It was, it's an idiom that depicts something that was going on. Paul had something that was stuck in his fleshly nature that plagued him, that Satan beat him up with. Some people think, well, it was his eyesight. I have a real hard time with that, really. Because it was something to keep him from being prideful, the Bible says. And so that leads me to believe that Paul needed to know, dude, you haven't got all your junk together. You preach a real good message, you know, hang in there. But you've got some issues, your own daggone self. So let's deal with them. And God looks at him and goes, Paul, my grace is sufficient even for you. So it's an idiom, a thorn in the flesh. Paul didn't have like a big thing sticking out of his arm. Okay? And so if we learn those kind of things, there's, there, there's things where God uses to amplify things, amplifications. Usually they're parallel things. Like in Psalm 2, it says, but the one who rules in heaven laughs. Well, if you just stop right there, you probably go, okay, God's a comedian. He's got a sense of humor. But if you keep reading, it says, the Lord scoffs at them. Well, he's, what it's saying is, God take, will take those who are high and mighty, and he's like, oh, you guys don't even know what you're talking about. That's hilarious what you think. You get what I mean? God's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> in their wisdom, they are so stupid. And he laughs at us because we try and sort things out on our own. You know what I mean? He laughs at the world because we think we got one up on him. And you read Psalm 1-6, it says like this. It reads, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, which is a great thing, but you amplify it by understanding the, the, the parallel part of that. It says, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. It's great that God watched over the path of the godly, but when you parallel it and amplify it with the path of the wicked, all of a sudden it becomes really a strong statement beyond what it would have been all by itself. Do you get that? So when we're going through these figures of speech, understand that God uses several tactics to get points across to us, and we should seek to find the literal understanding of these, all these, these ethereal things. The, 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 the scriptures are here for our, our benefit. It, if we learn to read the scriptures, if we learn to interpret them correctly, we won't get off on wrong tangents. Okay, one thing that really gets, gets me agitated is I'm reading a great book, and, and as, you, as, you, as, you read, as you head toward it, I've been reading it, honestly, for a couple months now, several months, three months probably. I read a chapter every few days, and I just kind of process it. There's a book by A.W. Tozer called The Radical Cross. And the basic idea of the, story, of, of, of the book is this. The only way to life in Christ is through the cross. That we have to be, like Paul said, crucified with Christ so that we might live. The life that we now live in our flesh, we live to the glory of Jesus who saved us. And we don't like to hear that. 
The scriptures are full of things like mortifying our flesh and different things like that. We think that because we become a Christian that we, we've got to, we, get a, we, get a, we get a pass on things. We think that life is supposed to be comfortable and easy. And A.W. Tozer makes a statement, I can't find one person in the scripture that life, everything in life worked out well for them. And so we, 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 we've developed this theology, especially in the United States, where it's all God's blessing and God's this and God. You know what? It, it does say that, but we forget passages of Scripture like John 16, that says, in this life, you will have trouble. And then when trouble comes knocking, oh, Jesus, where are you? And we start to cross a line because we think we've earned something from God when if he really gives us what we deserve, we don't want that. And I promise you, you do not want that. If I pray just the right prayer at just the right time with just the right impetus at just the right chant with just the right things and I do these certain things in my life, then God has to do what I want him to do. He's like a big credit card vendor. I got the right credit rating, so I deserve stuff. He is not that. And because you follow Christ, it is not a free pass to a life of ease and comfort. God, does, God, does not intend, God will comfort you. He does not care about you being comfortable. He wants you to be a follower of Christ. If you follow Christ, it leads to the cross. Read the book of Acts. We love thinking about the prison that Paul and Silas found themselves in. But the thing about it is, in order to have the prison bars fly open, they had to be in the prison in the first place. In order to have salvation, Jesus had to hang on an ugly cross with his beard plucked out, with his body beaten, with nine-inch nails put in both of his hands and his feet, and the salvation is awesome. But if we think it came with great ease and comfort, we're missing it. And the same guy who hung on that cross said, listen, is the servant higher than the master? If the world hated me, it hates you. One piece of scripture says this. All who would seek to live godly will suffer. He goes to say, and will suffer persecution. It is not, and it should not be, a popular thing to follow Christ. You watch guys like Tim Tebow, man. He, all he does is just acknowledge that Jesus is there, and then everybody wants to rake that dude over to coals because he just bows down and prays. And then we got guys shooting people up and all kinds of crazy stuff. And I think, dude, what is it all about? It's because this world don't want Jesus. They don't mind having some religious, fictitious example of him somewhere, someplace, but they really don't want him. And somebody who really stands up and lives for him and walks with him and talks about him becomes really agitative. And so if we're really following Christ, we've got to anticipate that. And I know that's not part, but I'm, I'm talking about the whole counsel of Scripture with you guys. Look at Abraham's life. Look at David's life. Look, look, look at, look at Gideon's life. Look at, look at Peter and James and John. Do you know every one of those guys who followed Christ, everyone with the exception of John, died for Christ? Every one of them. And according to our face scales, if there's certain things we teach in the body of Christ, they would have all flunked. Because they weren't driving the big car. They weren't walking in blessing. They weren't having, that we hear all these guys who are doing these serathons all the time on Christian TV talk about, they weren't getting any of that, so they flunk. And they're the guys who wrote the scripture that these people are using. I'm just saying. Jesus flunks if you measure him on those scales. 
So we've got to take the whole counsel of Scripture. God's intention is not for you to arrive safely and securely at some location. His intention is for you to get to heaven resembling the person who died for your sins. The only way that happens is through a life of difficulty, and you know that. Every time the children of Israel had not lots of comfort and ease, they went way off track, didn't they? Nothing's new under the sun. I heard Rick Warren say the other day, listen, he said, he said if it's new, it's not true. It's in there. And I just get, I get frustrated because, you know what, I have to deal with people every day who, well, God prayed, I prayed, this didn't happen, I wish that would have been. I'm like, your goal is not to be happy. Your goal is to serve Jesus well. Your goal is to cross the finish line and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That is the goal. Not to have fun. Not to everything to be enjoyable. Not for everything to go just right. Your goal is to cross the finish line and hear him say, well done. That is the goal. Anyhow, i got to keep going. I'm way out of time. Doggone it. The last thing. When you're looking at prophecy in particular, you have to look at things in a, at a, with a fear, a far and near implication. The reason the Sadducees missed Christ is because they thought everything was happening right now, and things, certain things were fulfilled right now, other things were meant to happen down the road. We celebrate Palm Sunday today. They got that part right. There was a scripture that talks about him coming in and people waving banners, waving palm leaves, saying, Hosanna, blessed you come in the name of the Lord. That was a near implication, but they thought that also meant he would set up his earthly kingdom right then, right there, and they missed him. And when he didn't get that right and marched in and set up shop, many of the same people who were raving palm branches on Sunday were suddenly on Thursday screaming, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him, because they misunderstood. Do you get that? So God uses different styles, different details, different terminology and writers to describe the same event. You'll find God replicating his thing. Next week we'll talk about the, the power of the day of the crucifixion, how God described it in detail before it ever happened, and how God fulfills things, but he used different people and different terminology. Understanding about prophecy will increase as history unfolds. Daniel 12, 4 and, 9, 12, 4 and verse 9 talks about that, sealing things up until the time of the end. As history keeps going, we will find that we understand more and more about what God was saying. The meanings didn't change. The intention didn't change. Our understanding of what God was saying becomes more illuminated where prophecy is concerned. I think it's funny that churches bicker and fight about things they, don't, they can't have any real understanding of. Are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? Um, I'm thinking, you know what? He gets me to the end. That's what I'm worried about. The Bible says no man knows the day or the hour, so us trying to figure out what is going to happen is just stupid. That's just me. Honestly. Now, I have better time, better things to worry about than, than the time schedule. I have just, I want to follow Jesus all the way to the road. Blessed he, ble, he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's all I need to know. Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled literally concerning his first coming. We should anticipate that his second coming will be fulfilled the same way because he keeps doing things the same way. And so many scriptures now that we can look back and one man, they were precise and they were literal about the first coming of Jesus that they, the, the, the people understand they couldn't 
couldn't begin to understand, but all of a sudden we look at it and they go, wow, we should anticipate the same thing with the second coming, okay? There are divinely revealed near information concerning the event. There can be a far prediction. Listen to this. The letters in Revelation, chapters 2 and chapter 3, are very literal letters written to to, to churches that existed at the time. But there were things in those letters that were specifically for the near application of them, for those specific bodies with the issues they were concerning. But within them were a far implication for us who would live during the church age that we should take and apply to our lives. Do you get that? And so we have to learn that that's how Scripture, prophecy and all that works. Because we, we, we can't, we fail to recognize the near and the far implications, we try and make things say things they don't really mean. God intends for you to become an unashamed good worker. In John 15, you'll find these words. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce, reproduce, will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my Father. You see, God intends for you to remain in the word and he's given you things to help you understand the word. And the more, atta- more closely you attach to the word, the less likely you are to give into a fad of theology or a fad of lifestyle or a fad of philosophy. And you will be better off because you have adhered closely to the word of God that stands forever. He intends you are commissioned to understand the scripture. You can't sit here, right over here somewhere. Spiritual growth is not optional. You as a follower of Christ cannot just flow. I don't really need to know that. Yeah, yeah, you do need to know the word. You, you, you are commissioned to grow into it, to walk with it, to grow out.